problem. But with every reward comes a sidecar of risk. In Chicago, over 1,700 cyclists a year are killed or injured in bike accidents involving motor vehicles. Bike safety is simple. First, become familiar with Chicago bike laws. Know your hand signals and when to use them. Love your brain. Get a bike helmet that fits your noggin and deck it out with a headlamp and some reflective gear for riding at night. Bike at least three to four feet away from parked cars to avoid being struck by a car door being opened. Motorists can do their part, too, by checking their side view mirrors for bike traffic before exiting their vehicle. Most importantly, remember that we're sharing the road. Looking out for both ourselves and each other is the only way to keep Chicago's roads safe, no matter what your wheels look like. For more information on bike safety in Chicago, visit www.chicagobikes.org. This public service announcement was brought to you by Radio DePaul, Chicago's college connection. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly... It's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Broadcasting live from our new state-of-the-art studio in downtown Chicago, it's Radio DePaul Sports, the student voice of your DePaul Blue Demons. Welcome, everybody, to World Sports Roundabout, the only show out there that looks at sports around the world and in a roundabout way tells you what the sports are all about. I am Brendan Bowens, your host today on this January 31st of 2022. Last day of January. I hope everybody's excited for February and what I call the uh, disaster month. For reasons that I am actually about to get to because we need to talk about something uh, before we get into the show today. Now, last week when I started doing the show, um, afterwards, I, I just wasn't feeling 100%. I wasn't feeling the greatest. Uh, I've been kind of struggling with a, uh, a sore throat, uh, kind of a lack of appetite and stuff like that uh, before anybody starts panicking and stuff like that. Wasn't COVID. Very fortunate about that. I've been very lucky. Uh, being able to avoid, you know, uh, COVID and stuff like that, which, by the way, again, wear your mask, make sure to get vaccinated. Just personally, that's just what I'm saying right now. I, I don't speak for ready to pulse sports and stuff like that, but, you know, just make sure to take care of yourself and stuff like that. But um, I, I just haven't been feeling 100%. I've been also finding some sleep insomnia. Uh, I've been kind of worried that, like, I'm, like, trying to, set myself up i've in the past have gotten sick with like two bouts of pneumonia one that was so bad that like the doctor was actually shocked that i had lasted as long as i had um 
but I am fine. And I recently did a live game uh, where we faced off against the uh, Yukon Huskies. First of all, I hope everyone like enjoyed that. That was my first experience with live sports. It was a very nerve-wracking experience. And so I hope that whoever was listening enjoyed the coverage. You know, I'll hopefully be doing a lot more live sports over time. But that kind of sets up kind of where I am. My voice isn't exactly 100% back. Like, I'm not straining, straining, but I it does... I do kind of feel myself kind of like trying to force a little bit. Um, so for this particular episode, I kind of taken a little bit of precautions here and there. Um, we there might be some uh, breaks that are just a little bit longer than normal. I think I generally take about a minute break every so often. Um, those might be explored out to two or maybe two and a half minutes just to kind of give my voice a little bit of a break. And on top of that, um, just in case I just feel my voice is about to, like, go-go, I have some music set up. Don't worry. It meets all the regulations that have been put set by not only Radio DePaul Sports, but Radio DePaul. Um, you know, just just in case I feel my voice is just about to go, I have some medication over here. I have a nice little water blend just to, like, you know, soothe my throat a little bit. I should be good by next show. And that also brings me into the next little portion I was going to like make here, too, is that this episode, I absolutely love doing the research on the show. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get to everything that I would love to get to, not only because of the reasons I just set up um, in terms of just like overall health and stuff like that, but just because there's just so much history that I'm just like trying to skip over on top of the fact that like, the stuff in order to like explain everything i kind of had to skip over a few things and i'd love to get through that so what i'll do is because we're just gonna have to breeze by the americas which is going to be our focus for the remainder of the quarter uh, the americas and mexico kind of won because they played around robin tournament and you know they ended up with the third seed, but then breezed through the semifinals to get to the finals in a close matchup versus the uh, European side of things. On my end, of course. Um, but what we'll do is for next week's episode, we'll just kind of like whatever I don't get to finish with Mexico today, we'll just go next week and we'll finish through that. Um, I will kind of explain how the show is going to kind of go through next week or for the remainder of the quarter, rather. Because we only have so many more weeks, and we can't go through like each country individually, as I have been for the past two episodes. But we're going to go ahead and get started, and the only way to start is to begin. And so let's begin by starting the show. Mexico. The land south of us. Neighbors to the south. Biggest, big, big, big country. Separated by, at times, pieces of wired fence or sometimes concrete slabs, or sometimes, at times, just nothing but the nature around us. We associate Mexico a lot of times with soccer. I, I, I don't really think that that's, you know, a big, you know, stereotype and stuff like that. Soccer is its biggest sport Stereotype. I don't want to say sports stereotypes. That's not even really the right thing to say. 
But I mean, it is one of the biggest. It's a, I don't want. I'll kind of, I'll get into this a little bit later. But it's not like it's not the big sport in Mexico, but it is the big sport in Mexico right there. It is the most popular sport in Mexico, followed by boxing, which I'm actually a little bit shocked that boxing is as big that big in Mexico, but I'm actually not as surprised as to kind of think about it because I re think I remember that a lot of the big boxing stars today are from Mexico. So maybe that's not it. But there's just so much history. <clears throat> Excuse me. So much history involved with like sports in Mexico and stuff like that. Because a lot of it was brought over to their country around the 16th century, around a time where like you know, explorers were coming in and, you know, discovering everything like that. Um, and so one of the first sports that I'd like to talk about is the, what has been commonly recalled as the Mesoamerican ball game. Now, just, this is one of the few times where I'm going to even talk about, like, movies and stuff. But do you guys remember the road to El Dorado? I don't remember exactly what year it came out. It was a DreamWorks movie about, like, two stowaways coming to, like, I guess a Mayan civilization and, like, having to pretend to be gods and stuff like that. I, I remember watching it as a kid and, like, absolutely not knowing what the movie was about. I just remember, like, Eldorado! Boom! That, that, was, that was a bad idea. Mm, that hurt. Uh, but... I, I kind of do remember the movie in itself, and they have a representation of the Mesoamerican ball game, in which, like, the stowaways are trying to figure out exactly, like, how to play the game. They're just brought on this game versus, like, professional players, and, like, they're losing, and, and they have to, like, they finally figure out how the game is played, and then they cheat, and then they win, and then there's a whole bunch of sacrifices and stuff like that. I love the history behind the Mesoamerican ball game as well. Um, but we don't have time to really kind of go over all the history and all the, uh, <clears throat> and all the, uh, all the other little intricacies about this game, but the Road to El Dorado actually just explains the game in, like, the most simplest form, very fortunately, um, so I'm gonna try my best to explain the game in itself. Uh, the Mesoamerica ball game. The most common form today is a sport called Ulma? Ulama? Ulama, I believe is how it's pronounced. It's the most common form of the game played today. Because of how, like, historians are, like, have documented the sport, there's not a lot. We are unsure of exactly how the game was played back then. There are definitely varying forms of this game as far as I found out. So, here's what I have found out. It is played with a rubber ball, generally around four kilograms. Do not actually use to convert that to pounds, because I do not know. On a long, narrow court. Sometimes it's strictly rectangular. Sometimes it's eye-shaped. It, it really depends. Um, sometimes, although this is more common with the uh, Ulama form today, they're generally divided in sections with a, excuse me, a center line called uh, an alico. And then 
that ball is allowed to kind of cross between the lines. And then if the ball crosses the end line, sometimes called the chichi, sometimes called the chivo, um, it will result in a point scored for that. Now, again, this is only for uh, Ulama. From what I could understand, historically, depending on which version of the game, depending on which region of the world that you were at, that could differentiate itself. Sometimes you just knew who's on your team and, you know, you were just playing the ball out. Sometimes it was in this team format and there was actually, like, more, I want to say, um, more... There's more ways that... There's a different way of figuring out how points are scored and stuff like that. Something like that. But uh, you're supposed to get Reyes. Um, so those are kind of like the tally points of the game. Um, historically, again, there's not really a way to say how many points are being scored. Some, play, some like the movie El Dorado, say it's only until like the sun goes down. And there's a marker on the way. But that's really, I guess, regional and stuff like that. So some are saying that like, oh, there's a like... They just kept playing until one team, like, conceded. For Ulama, the way it's kind of keep played is, like, you have to keep the ball in play. Um, you can't use your hands and feet, which is, I think is, like, the most interesting thing. But you can use any other part of your body. It doesn't say that you can't use your head, although I would assume that that also really applies as well. You can't use your hands, you can't use your feet, but you can use your elbows. And you're mostly supposed to play with your hip. There are other varying forms of it in where, like, you aren't really supposed to use your hip either. But, I, but I'm but i just strictly speaking as Ulama as, like, one general body of sports right now. So the team scores a point in Ulama when, and there are, like, five or six different ways. If you hit the ball out of turn, and I'm not entirely certain what that means, but I believe that means that, like, you... It, it really depends on the rules of the sports, too, because at times there's a racquetball version of the game and there's a volleyball version of the game. So when I believe it says it's, like... I believe this is when they say, like, you're supposed to keep the ball in play and you hit it out of turn. I believe they're referring to the volleyball version of the game. I believe. Because if it was racquetball, you can let the ball bounce. Once. Actually, I don't think it's racquetball. I think it's like a tennis version. But I think they refer to it as racquetball. I think it might be a different, differentiated version of racquetball and stuff like that. In any case, you hit it out of turn. That's a point for the other team. If the ball, if your opponent knocks the ball out of bounds, it's your point. If the ball touches any portion of the ball aside from the hip, or you accidentally touch the teammate, or the ball stops before it reaches the center line, somehow, so like you miss hit or something like that, then that's also considered a point against your team, I guess, because you would be the team that's seen the ball. Now, apparently, you also have to cold score, so it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like tennis, or at least how I am used to tennis being called. I used to take tennis lessons that they said you have to call the score if there's like no like uh 
no umpire present and like a failure to do so constitutes as like you giving out that point. I don't know. But if you fail to call a point, it's a point against the other team before a play and stuff like that. Modern games, again, generally last about two hours, which uh, which I think is pretty fair, I think. Although it's a lot of continuous actions and stuff like that. It is a dying game. Um, it's one of the, I believe the statistics say, 150 games in the Americas that are actually like dying out. There are only about 800 players collectively that still play a form of Ulama in this game. You know, a couple of regionals here. There are a couple of associations, but the game is, in fact, dying. Um, if you have seen the game, you might have actually seen the game before. I, I did mention the uh, the Rodeo, the Eldorado movie and stuff like that. But if you've been on vacation in the Caribbean islands or have been in Mexico, sometimes they do offer, like, it as like a kind of like an excursion and stuff like that where you kind of see the game being played i've actually had the experience to see the game and not really understand like how it actually works i'll kind of go into this i'll kind of explain that too the way that the excursion worked for us was we were going around these other islands and stuff like that. I should say other islands, but like other areas around the area that we kind of were. I don't exactly remember where in Mexico we were. Um, I believe we were just kind of closer to like the Texas region and stuff like that. Although now that I'm thinking about it, probably not because like we stopped by a lot of the islands to around the Caribbean. So I don't think it probably was more towards like the tip of Mexico and stuff like that. But what they did was like they took us into like this Mayan looking area or ruins and stuff like that. And they kind of talked about the history and then they kind of went over how the ceremony went. And then for about 30 minutes, they just played this game and they were just bouncing the ball off their hips and, you know, doing all this other stuff with the ball. And of course, a young 12 year old me not really understanding um, what this game exactly is. I just thought it was like the coolest thing ever. And then I believe then we ate something and then I just completely forgot about it until today. And I happened to like, but I happened to find the uh, particular excursion that uh, this was a part of. Although again, I would have to kind of go back on my computer, back in my apartment in order to get that information for you guys today. But I do do what I did want to say that I did find the excursion. It's it's a pretty interesting game. Um, supposedly nowadays the uh, <coughs> excuse me. The few regions that still do do that, um, it's actually really great for the students of Mexico because it can get them opportunities for scholarships and stuff like that. So, again, if you have the opportunity to play, I'm sure there's a better explanation for it. I'm trying to go over it very loosely. There's even, like, I skipped over, like, the part where there's, like, rings and where, like, at times you might have to, the game might end. <laughs> It's kind of like a golden snitch situation. Gosh, there's two movies referenced today. But, like, there might be a situation where if you bump, if you hit it with your hips, 
and the ball somehow goes through the ring, game ends, your team wins. There's no way he can come back from it. It's not exactly like the goal snitch situation because technically you could get the snitch. It's 150 points. It could be down by 155. So it really doesn't make sense to like catch the golden snitch until you actually score some points. Although the game continues to play, play, and play. But that's a whole bunch of movies. That, that's essentially how counters win these. But there is one other version of the game that I do want to talk about. And that is a sport. And I'm going to try my best to explain, to, to pronounce this word. I think it's called like Pasarutuka. 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 I'm going to go with Pasarutuka. This version of uh, of the Mesoamerica ball game, the ball is lit on fire. The ball is lit on fire, and you play with a ball of fire. I mean, that's just crazy, first of all, to just imagine. I mean, just imagine literally any other sport that the ball is lit on fire and having to play with the ball. Like, the only sport that really makes sense to have any sort of ball on fire is baseball. Because, of course, you, you know, we've played video games and stuff like that. You know, balls lit on fire. You throw like a super fast fastball. Ball catches on fire somehow, and the catch and the catcher somehow catches it, or it rips a hole through the glove. You know, we've all played backyard baseball, and <laughs> you have the heat, and the ball catches on fire, and the kid catches it like screams because it's just so hot, and catching it. Or you might have played games like the Bigs or like uh, Slugger Fest and stuff like that. So, you know, that's the only real sport that, like, makes sense. Like, soccer also could do it because, I mean, you could kick the ball so hard that it catches on fire. Or, like, the Mario games are, like, really great on that. I'm, I'm getting off track here, but the point is, is, like, it's just such a hard thing to imagine. A ball, you have to play with a ball that's on fire. And not only am I talking about it, like, there are actual leagues. And where these, there are groups of professional Pasarukatu. I think that's right, because there's a U in there. No, there's an A. Pasarukatu. To what? I don't know. I'm just going to call it Pasa. Just because, like, that's the only part I could actually read without any sort of issue. But, um, there are leagues of people that play Pasa. That play was a ball on fire. Again, I can't imagine too many sports outside of two that I just mentioned that you could just play with a ball on fire. That's also a dying sport, although that one makes a lot more sense. I mean, I'm sure it's like very traditional communities that do play the sport. And I, I'm not here to knock a community like that because, you know, tradition does mean a lot in a lot of cases here and there. I'm just saying that it's it's very interesting. It's just a very interesting, very cool thought that there is a sport with a ball on fire. So if you can get the chance to see it and experience it, um, please do. Um, if you ever take a trip out to Mexico, there are places that do offer it. 
they make a lot of money with tourists coming in, just kind of watching the game and stuff like that. Um, it gives a lot of, opp- again, there's a lot of opportunities for scholarships for certain regions so they can get to college. So, like, if you can see it, if you're, you know, spring break is coming up in about a month or so, you just happen to take a trip to Mexico for, quote-unquote, you know, educational reasons, uh, why not uh, go by and try to find yourself a Mesoamerica ball game to witness over. We're going to take a break, one of these uh, two-minute breaks, because I feel my, my voice is about to slip. So we will be right back with some more of the show. Biking in Chicago is more than just a mode of transportation. It's a lifestyle. It's convenient, affordable, and with 13,000 bike racks, parking is never a problem. But with every reward comes a sidecar of risk. In Chicago, over 1,700 cyclists a year are killed or injured in bike accidents involving motor vehicles. Bike safety is simple. First, become familiar with Chicago bike laws. Know your hand signals and when to use them. Love your brain. Get a bike helmet that fits your noggin. And deck it out with a headlamp and some reflective gear for riding at night. Bike at least three to four feet away from parked cars to avoid being struck by a car door being opened. Motorists can do their part, too, by checking their side view mirrors for bike traffic before exiting their vehicle. Most importantly, remember that we're sharing the road. Looking out for both ourselves and each other is the only way to keep Chicago's roads safe, no matter what your wheels look like. For more information on bike safety in Chicago, visit www.chicagobikes.org. This public service announcement was brought to you by Radio DePaul, Chicago's college connection. Rich is just a really, really, really good guy. The term good egg isn't enough to describe him. He's also certified organic and free range. Rich puts the cap back on everything. The toothpaste, the olive oil, the shampoo, everything. He lets his 10-year-old nephew beat him at virtual tennis, even though he can straight up slay his 10-year-old nephew in virtual tennis. When the toilet paper is running low, Rich replaces the roll on the actual holder, not just on the back of the toilet. Rich is texting and driving. Rich, no. What are you doing, Rich? I was just telling everyone how great you are. Texting and driving makes good people look bad. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to World Sports Roundabout. I'm very fortunate for that two-minute break because I was feeling my voice slipping. and That's not great. Hopefully I don't have to resort to playing some music right now. Uh, but very fortunately for me, I'd actually managed to knock just about 30 minutes out from the show just talking about the Mesoamerica ball game, which again... Really cool, really interesting. Make sure to watch the road to El Dorado. Just kind of get a basic idea of it. If you're ever in Mexico, go and watch the Mesoamerican ball game. We are going to move on. Bullfighting. Bull uh, it is kind of a contentious sport nowadays because, you know, societies are kind of like, um, you know, very cruel and weird punishments for, for the bulls and stuff like that. Just training the bulls to do bullfighting and stuff like that. But I want to kind of ask this, and I'm not entirely certain if this is just a me thing or if this is something that others think that, like, when you think of bullfighting, when you were a kid, where did you associate it came from? 
I'm going to kind of give a moment for you guys to think about it. Because for me, like, watching Looney Tunes and stuff like that, I always thought bullfighting was a Mexican thing. Granted, like, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, like, the Looney Tunes and stuff like that shows had, like, Speedy Gonzalez and stuff like that. And he would get himself in, like, situations in where, like, he'd be fighting, like, a bull and stuff like that. And so, like, you're supposed to associate Speedy Gonzalez as, like, a Mexican and stuff like that. And, um, so that, I guess that's kind of where the association came from. Of course, nowadays, you can associate that with, like, actual Spain and stuff like that. But I'm just kind of curious. Like, do you guys think that, like, the, the bull sport of, like, bullfighting came from Mexico or came from Spain? Like, just growing up as, like, a kid, you don't even have to tell them now. Like, you'd be like, oh, yeah, it totally goes with Spain now. But, like, as a kid, did you think it came from Mexico or Spain? I'm, I'm very curious to find out, like, what other people thought. But bullfighting is a popular sport. Uh, it was originated, it was introduced, rather, in the 16th century by Spanish explorers who had come into the region. Um, the, I hate using this term, like, goat, but, like, arguably the most popular bullfighter of all time was a man named Carlos Aruza. He was known as the Cyclone. He competed in several high-level bullfighting uh, competitions. He was, like, a movie star at some points. He died incredibly young. Um, I believe he was 40, actually. He died in 1970, like a car accident. But he was, like, one of the most popular bullfighters. Famous matadors, rather. Because that's what they're called. Out there. I mean... I, again, I couldn't find, oddly enough, like, one of the things about finding about, trying to find things about matadors is I couldn't find a ton of information despite the fact that, like, people were saying, like, hey, this, I, I looked on multiple sources, too. So it's not like I looked at, like, Wikipedia and just, like, copy and pasted it from there. I looked at other sources and stuff like that. I couldn't find much about how many competitions this man went through. Only thing I could find was, like, he did a lot of it in from period for about 10 years from like the 50s to 60s and like competed plus like in a lot of movies so like a lot of the bullfighting movies or movies that had bull riding in it during that time generally a lot of the more popular ones would have him in there but I couldn't find how many exact competitions I don't even know like how success as a matador is measured either. But I guess we'll find that out when we go through Spain, whenever that is. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. But, one of the things you notice, because of the popularity of the sport, it does, is home for the largest bull ring, which I believe that is what the arena is called. It's not called a stadium, it's called a bull ring. It is home to the largest bull ring in the world. It's called Plaza Mexico. It's in Mexico City. And that's just amazing, honestly. Like, imagine, I, I believe that for at one point in time, like, we held the record for, like, the largest attended soccer game at one point in time. 
I believe at one point in time we had the record for like the largest soccer attended soccer game of all time with like a hundred 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 thousand people watching a game. I believe it was like a World Cup final in America and stuff like that. Despite the fact that like it was in a football stadium for one, that's kinda how the record was broken. And like there are soccer stadiums around the world that can hold more than what the actual attendance was. I believe that record has been broken rather recently. But I believe the point I was trying to make was that it's like it's interesting that like there are countries that while in sport might be popular, it's interesting to me to know that like the sport can still hold something very very large. Like it's interesting to see a place that has like a world record of something. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Like if you have the world's biggest this and but yet your country isn't like no, no, for it. A sport could be popular, but, like, I guess that's what I was trying to get at. But, nowadays, despite the sport's, like, popularity and stuff like that, what bullfighting is nowadays is more like a sidecar. Now, we're about to go into this next topic. And, full disclosure, I spent the last part of four hours last night trying to understand exactly how this the sport works. I was enthralled with like the history of all this. And I was trying and I tried my best to explain how this sport exactly works. It's it, it, it's essentially Mexico's national sport. This is this is Mexico's national sport. Association soccer or football or football, this, that's not their national sport. It might be their most popular, but it's not their national sport. What I'm about to explain to you is their national sport. And I kid you not, I'm going to try my best to explain exactly how the sports work. But please don't blame me, because I still don't really understand exactly how the sport works. Or why the sport is this national sport, or anything like that. But I'm going to, and nor do I really know how to pronounce it, because I, as much as I wrote about it, I still don't have no idea how to actually pronounce it. So I am going to try to explain it. The sport is called Chari. Oh gosh, how <laughs> you sports are just really hard. It's called Chatria. There's like a lot of tildes and stuff like that. Another disclosure thing, I only took out the Spanish 2 in high school. I was the only one in my magnet program that didn't even have the opportunity or choice to not take Spanish 3. Like, you had in my school, you had to have an 85 to be eligible to take Spanish 3. I had an 84. I was the only one in my magnet program that didn't have a choice on whether or not I could take it. I wanted to take Spanish 3, only because they're like, a test you could take, and you could technically be classified as bilingual if you passed that test. And I wanted to take that test, and I couldn't. My sister did. She got to Spanish 4. Didn't, pa- didn't pass it in Spanish 3, but passed it in Spanish 4. And technically was classified as bilingual. I'll have to ask her one day if she's uh, if she's still bilingual. But I do remember that like double R's have a different sound than the regular R's. Tildes have a different sound than the I's. So it's like Chagria or something like that. Charia is the national sport in Mexico. 
Uh, it dates back to the 16th century, where English, where the English kind of brought over. I I believe it was more, it's more, it's kind of like these techniques for farmhanding and stuff like that. But the sport more or less arise through equestrian history and live livestock tradition. I'm not going to go into what those traditions kind of were. That's just a lot of history that we just simply do not have the time for in this show. You know, this is a sports show. We're trying to talk really about sports. I love talking about history. But we just don't have that kind of time to do that in this show. But these traditions were kind of like big in Mexico, especially those who handled like farmhands and stuff like that. Um, this was definitely during around the time of like these kind of traditions kind of fell off as like equestrian sports kind of advanced, livestock techniques also kind of advanced, and they kind of died off. Although there were associations like beforehand, the whole like the the I don't want to say it like. The ingredients, like the old traditions of like how those farmhands kind of like went about their days, it was kind of died off around the time of the end of the Mexican Revolution, which I believe would be like 1920, I believe is the time of the Mexican Revolution. So it kind of died off, but the organizations that kind of still were like holding on to those traditions ended up creating a sport out of it. Think of it simply in a very simple terms, like a rodeo today, except much more extravagant and much more historical and traditional ties to it. Uh, a lot of the same things that you might see in a rodeo are also part of the rodeo. Gosh, I, I'm going to have to figure out a way to say it oh, without emphasizing the double R's. Double R's kind of like roll. Oh, I did it. Uh, <laughs> But, um, yeah, so the locations for these kind of events are in a place called the uh, Lienzon Charo. And a Charo is also very important, but I believe it's like, it, it's the venue for these kind of events. And they're generally, typically, practiced by people called Oh, oh, oh no. Charos is what the like. I hate, I just hate that I can't pronounce the R's right now. They're like Charos, but it's like Charos. I did it again, but like, geez, my R's are not like coming across like I thought it did. It's been a while since I've done any sort of Spanish. But Charos are the men writers who practice uh, Charia. Of course, there are women who practice this sport, too. This is one of the few times in where, like, the events aren't really restricted to men. There are history of women actually participating in a lot of these uh, traditions and sort of livestock. And... <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Oh, I, I, I did not feel great. I'm feeling like... I'm going to, like, pass out in a little bit, so we might... I'm going to have to stop for a brief moment and take a little break. 
get some medicine in me, and I'll kind of explain the old woman side of that in a minute. But I'll be right back. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start it off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. You hear it every time you finish a meal and never feel anything. But if we were able to associate this sound with a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask? Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change your after-meal behaviour through brainwashing. Because food waste costs the average family $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. And $1,500 extra bucks is like getting a pay raise. Save the food. Cha-ching. You're promoted. Which could pay for your child's braces. Save the food. Cha-ching. You're promoted. Check out my braces. So when you hear this sound, rethink your behaviour. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Welcome back to World Sports Roundabout. And again, I apologize. If you're just joining us for the show right now, uh, again, not feeling 100%. Um, so taking, if I if I like stop in the middle of a sentence and like just kind of like, excuse me, excuse me, just because like my throat is just acting up. Not 100%. I don't have any sort of like COVID. I think I'm just fighting off a cold and any symptoms from like sleep insomnia and stuff like that. Should be good next week. And again, I still have a lot of topics to get through. Uh, I'm going to not try to do the R's. I'm just going to call it a Chachar. Chacharia is what I'm going to call it for now. I'm going to try to prevent to do anything that really involves my throat right now. So, Charles are the men writers to be put in Chacharia. Um, women are called Chachararas. They also had a hand in sort of the livestock traditions of old Mexico and stuff like that. So, they're also allowed to participate in Chacharia. Now, here are the events of a Chacharia. Again, I'm pronouncing it as Chacharia. Even though there are the arts, you are supposed to kind of like roll it. I just can't. I personally just can't today. But, here's the traditional order for a Chacharia. So you first start off with Cala de Cabello. It's a testing of a horse through events such as like breaking, like breaking out a dime. Like the horse is supposed to go like full speed and there's going to be a signal. And like 
the writer is supposed to just like pull on the rain and it's supposed to stop to a certain point. Uh, they just say that like they start off running and then there's a signal like as soon as someone can see them like kind of peer out the corner and then the signal's played like a whistle or something like that and then they're supposed to pull on the rain and shit like that. Um, another event that generally happens around the Cala de Cabello is like, and I, I'm not entirely certain how this works, but supposedly a horse is supposed to change its axis by getting on one leg and changing its axis. Now, I'm not entirely certain how that works, nor do I really think it's humane enough to do. I, I I need to see how that how that exactly works. I just don't I just don't like the idea of of a horse being on one leg. I mean, if you've ever interacted with a horse, horses are big. Like they're about I'm almost saying they're like a several hundred pounds. And you know they're bipedal, not bipedal, but they're like quad quad pedal animals. They they walk on four legs. It's so like all that weight is being supported on four legs. Like, yeah, two legs, yeah. Like, if you get on your hands and knees and you get in your hands, like, your your hands are in a weak proportion. Like, if you were quadpedal, then your hands would be the weak legs. So, like, that's kind of why if you uh, get on your hands and you try to kick out and stuff like that, you're gonna, gravity's going to put you back down and stuff like that. But, I mean, of course, you could put all your weight to your hands and then walk like that. But the joints and that stuff like that are weaker than all the joints in your legs and stuff like that. A lot of science, not gonna get into it and stuff like that. Just the idea that like so like these Charles are just gonna like make the horse like get on a leg and change its axis and stuff like that. It's just kind of weird. There are also other tests that test like the horse's dexterity, the horse's like ability to be trained, the horse's like conditioning and stuff like that. That is essentially what the first event is all about. Now, again, I'm not entirely certain how you determine a winner in that. It doesn't even really say that, like, there's a winner in the radio. I'm, I'm guessing that, like, they, they have participants in each event, not that, like, one horse is doing all these events, because that would be messed up. At least in my opinion. <laughs> At least in my opinion, that's kind of messed up. You know, treat horses fairly and stuff like that. But let's see if that's the first event. Next is uh, Pialis, Pialis in Lezino. It's roping the hind feet of a mare and stopping it to gallop, gallop while on the horse. So essentially a horse will kind of gallop around the, uh, around the arena. And it's up to you. It's up to you on your horse to rope its hind legs. While still on your horse and just preventing preventing it from like galloping away. This one kind of makes sense because it's kind of like a bull calfing or bull roping and stuff like that. Except you're on your horse and stuff like that. Um, I'm not entirely certain why they get a mare to do it and not just another horse, especially because there's other events that we will get to in just a couple minutes, and where like they get a wild horse and you do essentially similar things, but like. All right, sure. Then there is Colares en el Lezino, or Coladero, 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 
and that is bulltailing. So, bulltailing, from what I understand, is you grab the tail of the bull and you try to get it to kind of like stop for a minute. It's also called bulldogging, which, eh. But, uh, you do, you have to do that on your horse. I'm not a hundred percent certain on like, I'm not entirely certain on like what that's supposed to like determine. Like, of course, like, all right, the first one's supposed to test like several things in your horse, which generally is like a quarter mile horse that you're supposed to get. That generally is like a lot of these. Because they just have the uh, ability to do a lot of the things that I've listed before. But, um... I'm not really certain what the bull tailing... Maybe the ability of the uh, Charo to just, like, be able to stop a bull. Maybe. I don't know. But that is a thing. And that's the third event. That is the third event. I'm not going to go too far into that. Because that's, like, one of the ones that I just simply do not understand whatsoever. And maybe it would make a lot more sense if I could have seen like some clips of it beforehand. I just couldn't find any like in enough time before the show. Then there are women's events. It's called the uh Eskerma Zoo. Eskerma Eskar Gosh, I come on, Spanish too. Help me out. Eskarazuma. 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 Okay. Yeah. So those are the women's events. I could not find. They live as like a women's skirmish. But I can't find exactly what events entails. Yes, Sir Zuma. So what I'm going to assume is that whatever. Is that it's shortened events done by the women. So I'm guessing the previous three, because I don't know why they would put it to like. It's not even really the middle event. So I'm not entirely certain why they would put it at first three, but I'm assuming that the women are allowed to do the first three. The first three events that I listed before. And those are the women's... Uh, just the women's uh, events right there. After that, you have uh, bull riding, gentle... De Toro, it's just bull, it's just bull riding, you know, you get on a bull, try to kick you off, um, and you're judged on your ability to, like, stay on the bull. That's not particularly too hard, and actually, like, this, this makes a whole bunch of sense to me. So, in the end, that's what it is. That is the fifth event of the whole Tetraria. <laughs> then you have what I've been I've always called horse bucking. The sport is called uh it's called bronic riding, but I've always been known as buck riding it. Or buck riding or like horse bucking. It's called uh Timo de Yuga. You get on the you get on a wild horse and it's kinda of the same thing as bull riding. Your ability is kind of judged based on your ability to stay on this horse. I think it's really... I, I like the idea of uh, this particular event. 
simply because, uh, you know, have you guys ever seen like spirit, the like the first spirit, not like the uh, the newer spirits, like the first spirit that came out, like. <sighs> There used to be a song that reminds me of it. And I thought, like, it was, like, the coolest thing. Like, Spirit was, like, fucking these people off. Like, they were trying to control them. Like, I think... I don't even really remember the scene. I believe he was captured, and then they brought him to this arena. And I believe they were trying to control him. Because, like, that was the whole initiating process. It's like, if they find a horse... If a horse, like, tires out and stuff like that, that means, like, the horse is technically, like, under control and stuff like that. But like Spirit was like knocking these these horses out, and like there was a song too that like was like a rock song, and it was like so cool. There are so many movie references and stuff like that. Granted, not the same thing, but that's the idea of horse bucking has always been kind of cool to me. Uh, not bull, not bull riding, but horse horse riding and stuff like that. Oh, so that was kind of cool and stuff like that. Next. It is uh, Magana's at peak. So you're on your horse. No, you're actually on your feet. You're on your feet, you and a team. Wait, hold on. Hold up. Wait a minute. I skipped one. I did skip one. I do apologize. In between the bull riding and a horse bucking, is Sierra and El Rudio. What that event kind of entails is you have three other churros. And you have this bull. And you're trying to rope this bull by its front legs, its hind legs, and I believe its horns. You got six minutes and you got so many attempts to do so. And your goal is essentially, you know, rope this rope this bull. And again, you only I think you only have three attempts to do it in the uh in six minutes. So it's not like you can just keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, whatever. That's that's kind of where my that's kind of where my confusion was because the next because the next event after like the horse bucking, and I'm gonna call it horse bucking, even though it's called bronic riding. But after horse bucking, it's called Maganas LP. And this is a solo event, and it's kind of similar to the uh, the bull roping, except you're on your feet, and you're trying to rope the front legs of a horse. But in order to be judged on it, you have to rope the horse for it to roll over once. And again, I don't really understand... <laughs> First of all, I don't really, I, I don't really understand the concept of like having the horse roll over once, as if that matters. Because you rope the horse by its hind legs, it's, and it's gonna probably fall over, and yet you gotta make it roll over once for it something to count. Like I, I don't, I, I personally don't get it. And again, I tried my best. I looked at the event. I tried to understand it as best as I could. I just couldn't understand any of this. But we proceed now to Maganas de la Cabello, which is horseback, uh, horseback riding, um, or horseback roping rather. 
So I would assume that uh, this is kind of like uh, kind of similar to some of the other events where you have to rope something up. Uh, how it was just explained to me, it was just you're on a horse and you're trying to rope something. Uh, generally, it could be a bull. Generally, it could be some items. It really depends on the region of where you are and stuff like that. Um, but generally, hi! I don't know. I don't know. Just people just passed by and just someone was like, hi! And I was just like, okay. Uh, I apologize. I got distracted. Where was I? Where? Gosh! Why? Uh, I got distracted and stuff like that. But, um, God. Okay. But, uh, essentially, it, there might be some horse that, you know, need to rope up. There might be a bull that you might need to rope up. Um, there might be some items that you need, might need to rope up depending on the region and stuff like that. But that's essentially, like, the, uh, the horseback region and stuff like that. And finally, you have El Paso de la Muerte. This is the final event of the whole event. And this is, this is, this is actually, like... This is actually the one event that I do kind of remember being somewhat different than the others. And this is like the only thing that I kind of remember from like the Caldera. And stuff like that is, it's called the Pass of Death. What you do is you and three other uh, cars are fighting to get on this wild moving horse. It's kind of going around little places, stuff like that. And your goal is to go from your horse to that horse. Now, what I'm guessing is past the death is because you're probably moving at about, like, 20 miles per hour. And you're trying to jump from one horse to another. You miss that. You miss time that you're falling on the ground. And you're moving fast enough in where if you jump and you miss and you land on the ground, you're probably, if, if you're not dead by the imp, you hit your head wrong, you're gonna probably going to die. And because there's a lot of other animals kind of running around, you know, trying to get on this, uh, or rather, other riders trying to get that horse, and if you jump and fall, you could hurt yourself, you know, trying to jump from, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought, but, um, you could hurt yourself jumping off of it, landing, and then, like, the horse comes over and tramps you. You could die that way. You could die simply by not even jumping yourself. Like, if someone jumps off and trips up your horse, you could fall because you could be knocked off your horse and stuff like that. I think that's particularly why it's called the uh, Pass of Death because there's a lot of opportunities to die. There, I, I, I remember as a kid, I remember reading a lot of these stories too, not really understand why someone would do something stupid like, uh, <laughs> like jump off a moving horse to do to another horse unless they were trying to be like really cool. Um, but that's the event. That is probably the more uh, the more popular. I guess maybe something that you might recognize. It might be the sport that you kind of recognize and stuff like that. And that really is going to conclude it for this particular show. Again, unfortunately, just because of how my condition is, and just because like there's a lot of history that I wanted to get through. You know, with the Mesopotamian ball sport and the calorie, 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 char, charia. <laughs> That's how we have to pronounce it, the charia. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to talk about Liga MX. We didn't talk about the Mexican Baseball League. We didn't talk about La, La Liga Nacional de Barcelona Professional. We didn't get to talk about Liga de Football Americano Professional. We didn't get to talk about the Mexican Elite League. 
We will do all of that in our next show. We will do all that in the next show, for sure. And whatever time we have left, we'll go over as many countries as we can. Because we'll be kind of behind. And we'll just kind of have to figure out things from there. What was that? Actually, no. No, 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 no. We're going to actually tackle... We do have a little bit of time, according to this clock over here. So I am briefly going to talk about the Mexican Elite League, only because that's the quickest thing that I can talk about, realistically. The Mexican Elite League is like the is a hockey league in Mexico. There's only four teams. Um, it's not really a huge league. The only reason why I wanted to mention the Mexican Elite League, um, briefly, again, we might talk about it a little bit more if there's more information that I think needs to be told. But the whole reason why I want to talk about the Mexican Elite League is like, with the International Hockey Federation, there are members, you know, from various countries. Most of them are, you know, the United States and Canada, a bunch of regions in Europe. There are a few Asian countries here or there. But Mexico is the only member of the IHF. It's the only Latin America group that's actually, like, a participant in it. That's actually, like, ranked within it. They're clearly the best, um, they are the best in the Americas and stuff like that. Um, so, I just feel it's, it's, it's weird because, you know, uh, we, we have someone here that, you know, is a goalkeeper that has participated with Team Colombia and stuff like that, which I didn't realize that the Latin America played hockey. I just didn't realize, like, of all of them, Mexico would be the one that's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like the powerhouse of the Americas. My personal thought would be Argentina, just because it's closer to, like, the South Pole. So, of course, there's going to be areas and regions around that. And where, like, uh, you know, they're cold regions and stuff like that of Argentina. That's my first thought. It's like, Argentina, maybe Chile, but Chile is probably not big enough to do all that. But if I find any more information about the Mexican... Uh, Elite League, I'll let you guys know next time. So we'll just call this uh, Mexico Part 1 video, or rather recording today. Hopefully I'll feel a lot better, and uh, we'll talk about, again, League MX, we'll talk about the Baseball League in Mexico, and we'll talk about the Pacific League, because that's winter ball here in America. And then we'll talk about basketball, and we'll talk about hockey. And then, if we have any more time, we'll go over another country as well. Well, with that, my name is Brendan Bowens. Thank you again, guys, for listening. I'll look forward to uh, look forward to doing the show again next week. Much better, much more uh, efficient. And finally, with a theme song, we've been using the uh, the Comrex's uh, Comrex's uh, theme songs here. But sorry, next week we'll actually have a theme song for the song that we'll be playing for the intro and a closing song for it today. But I will see you guys next week for World Sports Roundabout. Tune in at 4 as me and Jalen will be doing Sports Flash today. And I will see you guys then. All right, guys. Bye-bye. Listen, as a hiring manager, I've got to tell you, the best job candidate isn't always the typical candidate. Sometimes they're a grad of life. Meet the grads of life. 
young adults of unique determination and experience, an ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Sometimes the best candidates aren't the ones you're used to. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org.